0: Hey, thanks for listening to the Pro Sports Podcasters. We appreciate the support as always. In case you missed it, we have a newsletter coming out this August. And it's written by our resident funny man, so you know it's going to be fun and engaging. Justin, tell us more about it. Thanks, Nee. In this letter, I tell you everything you need to know about last week's episode in the rundown section, included with links from Tuesday and Friday's episode another section of what to come, and my favorite part is the media fun stuff. In that, I tell you which movies you could watch on various streaming platforms if you liked what we had to talk about.
1: Listen, fans, because no sport is left behind, it's important to know what's been happening with the pro sports podcasters. By signing up for the weekly newsletter, we will have you front row center for every interview and analytic discussion.
0: So do yourself a favor and sign up. The link is in the show notes. Be part of the conversation and enjoy some of the fun once again we thank you for listening to the pro sports podcasters welcome all sports fans on this podcast no sport is left behind i'm justin williams i'm and
1: this is our brother from down under
0: me wallace bruce
1: we are the pro
0: sports podcasters filling you in on the latest news from the world of sports Welcome to the Pro Sports Podcasters. My name is me, nee, me, nee Wallace Bruce, and I am joined as always by Kobe. Kobe, how you doing, mate?
1: I'm good. I'm good, buddy. How's it going?
0: We well, are yeah, good. We're good. We're in July, the Summer Olympics around the corner, and we have one of the broadcasters who covers all things water polo in the US. He is on, found on ESPN. You probably recognize his voice. And he's also the Director of Communications at USA Water Polo. It's the one and only Greg Meskel. Greg, how are you doing?
2: I'm doing well. How are you guys doing? Good to be here with you. Excellent. Excellent.
0: We're good. We're good. You must be excited with the the games around the corner. Yeah, we're in that
2: uh, final stretch here. It's uh, a lot of planning and then, as you both know, postponement of a year. And so what is usually a four-year buildup became a five-year buildup, but uh, it's now right around the corner. And, and so I think people are starting to get really fired up to, to see the best in the world do what they do here in a couple of weeks.
0: For sure. Now, as we know, we recently interviewed Kelly Gilchrist, member of the women's team. They're looking to go back to back uh, with gold on their side of things. Can you tell us a little bit about the men's competition, if you don't mind?
2: Sure. So, men's tournament is a little bit larger than the women's. It's uh, 12 teams as opposed to 10 for the women, although they're slowly making their way uh, towards gender equity. This is the first year the women are up to 10 teams from eight teams. But on the men's side, when you look at the U.S., they last medaled in 2008. They are coming off a strong performance at an event called the FINA World League Super Final. Uh, that's the, the second biggest event in any given calendar year. They won a silver medal there. Uh, but I think in the world rankings there, when you look back at their recent Olympics, finished well off the podium. Uh, you're looking at a 10th place finish in Rio, for example. So I would say outside of that team, there are not... Uh, many big expectations for them to medal, but uh, I, I think they can be a real wild card going into this tournament in that they've had a lot of great club experience. Every member, just about every member of this roster, went and played professionally in Europe in the midst of the pandemic to try and get uh, better experience. So they're very familiar with all the other top athletes, best teams that are that are going to be competing in Tokyo. And then when you look historically in men's water polo, uh, it's it's often dominated by the Eastern European squads. So as of late, that's been Serbia and Croatia, uh, the last couple of Olympic champs. Hungary had a dynasty in the two thousands, winning in two thousand and four and oh eight. So those teams are are always difficult squads to go up against. And then you have other teams that uh, can certainly vie for a medal. Certainly have won World Championships in the past. Uh, Italy, Spain, Greece, uh, Montenegro was the team that defeated the U.S. in the Superfinals. So uh, it is a packed field in Tokyo in the men's tournament, and uh, it is going to be difficult for any team to advance all the way to the finish and win this thing. I, I don't think it's a, a situation where there's a clear-cut favorite like the USA women on the women's side. Uh, I, I think uh, it's it's certainly open to interpretation, and uh, we'll be interested to see who kind of comes out on top here in the next few weeks.
0: For sure. we we'll look forward to seeing it. Kobe?
2: Yeah. What's
1: ESPN's presence going to be like at the Olympics?
2: Uh, not very much, you know. This is a this is an NBC. Well, especially when we're talking about domestically here in the U.S. So, in the United States, NBC holds the broadcast rights to the Olympic Games. So, I would suspect you'll see some ESPN reporting that sort of thing. Okay. Uh, but they they don't have any clearance to show live events. So, uh, this will be primarily if you're going to watch anything from the Olympics, you'll be watching it on the NBC family of networks.
1: So, with ESPN, it'll be basically a follow up to everything that's already happened
2: probably yeah you know usually in the past what they've have done is they'll have some people there sharing reports updates they'll certainly you know tell you about the big moments uh, but but even the video coverage tends to primarily reside on NBC platforms they they pay a substantial amount of money to have their rights for the Olympic games and so you don't typically see highlights from the olympics anywhere else in the US but on their channels
1: now, do you know much about the ESPN Plus program, the partnership with the UFC?
2: Not a ton. No, I don't.
1: Because I was wondering, it appears to me as though the UFC seems to be angling for either a, a bigger deal or a sale of some sort. Is there a, like, do you know the length of time that contract is in place or no?
2: No, no, I'm not, I'm not sure about that.
1: Okay. Okay. I was just wondering, I'm just kind of interested in the ESPN Plus program and whether they're looking to expand it or reduce it.
2: I, no I, I mean, I think you're seeing this across all streaming platforms, whether it's ESPN plus or Peacock or Amazon prime or anywhere that has sports or is adding sports. They're looking to get more and more subscribers, more and more viewers. So that's, that's a trend just across the board on really any sports streaming app.
1: Okay. And then getting back to water polo on the women's side. I mean, I saw the, the USA versus Russia game last week. It was, like in total fluke, actually, after speaking with Kelly Gilchrist. Oh, funny. Do you know when the uh, actual events are taking place in 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 Tokyo?
2: Yeah, so women's water polo starts July 24th. Now, keep in mind, there's a large time difference, uh, you know, being several hours ahead of, of East Coast and even further ahead of, of the West Coast. But so uh, women's first match is against Japan in Tokyo. And I want to say that's 2 p.m. local time. So it'll be kind of early morning, East Coast, late night, West Coast. And then the men play the very next day. And that's how the tournament unfolds, alternating women, men, women, men until uh, August 8th. And so the men open July 25th in Tokyo, and they also take on Japan to start their tournament.
1: And is Japan a legitimate contender or no?
2: I I wouldn't put them as a medal contender, but they're a program that has gotten so much better over the last couple of years. Uh, The Japanese men defeated the U.S. men. At the world championships a couple of years ago okay Uh, and and both both men's and women's programs just work tremendously hard you can see their growth over the last uh, several years as they've prepared to host this tournament so uh, they will not be an easy out when it comes to advancing
1: yeah last question before i pass it back to me um you don't hear much about water polo we're we're stationed in toronto ontario canada you don't hear much about water polo here but do you know much of the canadian team
2: uh actually on the women's side quite a bit just because there's there's so much uh, involvement in the collegiate game in the US and it's funny okay. i was just talking uh with uh, George Gross who covers uh, the CBC uh coverage for water polo he'll be the analyst on some of their broadcasts and we were just talking about the water polo teams yesterday and uh yeah the women's squad 12 of 13 on that Canadian women's team has played or have, or I think maybe currently, there's still some some current uh, eligibility, have played in the U.S. college system. There's always been a strong presence from Canada in the NCA collegiate ranks in the U.S., but uh, this is a, a tremendous number and some really talented players on that Canadian roster.
1: So basically, the USA and Canada are very familiar with each other.
2: Oh, certainly. And and I think that that has been uh, the story for a long time. Just from a geographical standpoint, they're, they're as close as it gets to having common training opponents if there's anything that ever involves just the americas like the pan-american games yeah. or if there's ever a qualifier for uh FINA world league super final that involves just the american continent you can be sure those two are going to get together so between ex-college teammates and then meeting up at various tournaments they you know they played in the pan-american games final they hosted canada the u.s women did uh, just a couple of months ago so there's there's that certain familiarity would you consider them a medal contender or no Hmm. Are the Canada women? I would say it's possible. I, I think if they if they put together a really strong tournament, uh y- you could see them vying for a medal. I think it'd be a surprise, and it's no insult to them, I think it'd be a surprise if they were to win the gold medal, certainly. Um, but they have shown them themselves quite capable in some tournaments to make a run deep into the medal round.
1: Okay, cool, cool. Me?
2: Now just circling back to I guess
0: the where the players play. In the lead up to this, a number of them, as you mentioned, go off to Europe. They play for their clubs in Europe, and I believe that's on the men's and women's side. And many come from college as well. So my question is this for the future in in the Americas, because we need to remember our Canadian brothers and sisters up here. Would you like to see a professional water polo league in North America that helps bridge the gap between collegiate, sports, and the Olympic teams?
2: Of course, I I don't I don't know a person involved in water polo wouldn't love to have that happen. I think everyone thinks a pro league would be fantastic. The USA Water Polo has made some moves towards that with the national league, very far from a pro league, but but something organized in a sense that you're talking about post collegiate athletes that still want to play at a high level in conjunction with athletes that are at that Olympic level and playing for club teams like the New York Athletic Club, the Olympic Club. Those are clubs based in the east and the west coast and then a couple of other clubs los angeles water polo alumni water polo to name a few where they had three to four weekends of high level water polo so that's been kind of the pardon the pun the first toe in the water there was a thing years ago called the premier league that was kind of like that as well in the us Uh, but that's really as far as it's gone i think everyone would love to see a professional league that would mean more coverage for the sport more opportunities for athletes to play after they're done with college more opportunities to stay home and play if you didn't really feel Mm. like going to Europe, but you wanted to Mm. continue to play at a high level. uh, Everyone agrees those things would be awesome. And uh, the big challenge, like any league, and it's why you see so many leagues that struggle to get started and then sustain. There's a massive financial commitment required. There's a big sponsorship commitment required. There's a big fan component required. And so those are uh, the ever-present challenges for any league trying to get started. and, And the same would go for water polo.
0: Fair enough. Now, if I'm not mistaken, this will be your third Olympics. I believe you went to Rio and also to Pyeongchang.
2: Uh, so this is actually my fifth overall. So fifth. I went to right. I went to Beijing, London, Rio, Pyeongchang, and now Tokyo. So fourth summer, fifth overall.
0: Nice. Now, what are some of the differences? Obviously, we're in a different world to those games previously. What are some of the things that you've had to go through from a preparation standpoint in terms of the protocols and whatnot?
2: uh just just for tokyo you're talking about yes yeah i i I think it's what you've heard a lot of the athletes have to go through there's going to be uh obviously and understandably so very strict uh, COVID protocols so you're talking about testing and masks and those sorts of things and um you know more of that to come as you arrive into japan and i haven't gotten there yet uh but that's what we're hearing as far as the travel you know a lot of um Following of a variety of guidelines, all all the things that I think we've heard about throughout this pandemic, and in some areas, for example, in the U.S., we've been able to uh, relax some of those as things have gotten better under control. Um, But in an event like the Olympics, when you're bringing together so many people from all across the world, understandable that there has to be extra caution put into place. But it's a lot of things that we're familiar with: contact tracing, uh, understanding who you were with when, mask wearing. uh, COVID testing, uh, good hygiene, right? Hand washing, all that sort of stuff. So, you know, I think it's it's all of that at a very high level. And that's what everyone's been briefed upon and kind of what we're expecting uh, to go through for the next three weeks.
0: Right. And will you be going to Beijing next year as well?
2: Uh, that's uncertain at the moment, but um, i that's a TBD. Fair enough. Watch this space. Thanks for listening, and be sure to join the Pro Sports Podcasters Facebook group where you will be able to interact with the hosts and talk to other sports fans. Now back to the show.
1: Having worked for a number of different networks and covering a number of different sports, I was kind of interested in what teams or sports in general are you actually a personal fan of?
2: Oh, so like teams that I rooted for growing up, that sort of thing? Correct. Yeah, so – and this, this is always interesting, I think – when you talk about the world of sports journalism, there was a feeling for a long time that you kind of had to check your fandom at the door when yeah, you were there be to neutral, do a game, and
1: basically be neutral. And
2: I, <laughs> I still very much, have, you know, ascribe to that philosophy. I think any game I call, I never want someone to get the feeling that I was a homer or that I was rooting for one team. Okay. Um, even even games where I'm clearly you know, I call just one one team's games all the time, right? And then it's just the opponent changes. Even there, I'd very much like to just call a high-quality game. I think it's fun when you're around a team that you work with or you do well. It, makes, it just makes the whole process more enjoyable. But um, I, I would like to very much be neutral. But all that said, I, I think it's a little silly, right? You don't get into this typically unless you had a love of sports, at some place along the way, that's right. To understand that you wanted to be in this. So my team's growing up. Uh, big New York Knicks fan. Okay, um, suffered through many, many <laughs> tough years. Uh, they've they've finally gotten themselves a little bit better this year. Um, so that's been a long time coming. You know, you really, it's funny when your team is not good. It's actually almost easy in a way. You can kind of just like forget about them. Like you
1: can you can relax a bit,
2: right? You can. Yeah, your fandom's there, but you're like, ah, I'm just gonna. Just relax here and see what happens. I'll enjoy the NBA playoffs. Uh, we know we don't have to worry about that, so I can just root for good games. Um, <laughs> yeah, true. So that's the Knicks, and then same boat New York Mets. So longtime Mets fan, um, I, they have had a little bit more success getting to a couple of World Series in the yeah. last twenty years, uh, and and in those moments, uh, and that purely comes from my dad, huge Mets fan, has been a Mets fan since they began as a as a team. Um, but you, again, same thing when they're playing well, then you're a little bit more invested. You feel like you have a little bit more at stake. Uh, and then if they're down in the dumps, you're still a fan, right? You never give that up, but there's less high drama knowing, well, we're out of it in July. So we don't need to worry about what's going to happen in the postseason. And then my NFL team, and this is, this is uh, one, no one ever understands, but it's the new Orleans saints. Okay. And, and so growing up in the Northeast, everyone was diehard, uh, New York Giants, Jets, Eagles, Buffalo Bills, and I kind of got into the NFL a little bit late, and so I wanted to pick a team that no one else liked and that wasn't good, so that no one could say that I was a front runner at the time. I felt like everyone was, uh, you know, Packers or Cowboys or that sort of thing. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and so the Saints were terrible, and I thought they had a cool look, kind of the black and gold. And so I jumped on that bandwagon, and uh, it was shaky there for a while. But that is really like my only team that has won a championship that I was able to like actually watch and enjoy um, as a fan. So uh, those are really my squads. And and then I guess, you know, hockey, I don't follow as much. I, I guess I put myself down as an Islanders fan, but, um, and so they had a great run this year, but that's, that, that's really it. And then, and then of course the colleges that I went to, you know, I, um, I, I always keep a close eye on them as well. Well, I got
1: to ask you then, because both me and I are huge NFL fans. Uh, what do you think of Jameis Winston leading the Saints? Will he lead the Saints?
2: <laughs> I think he's at least going to have an opportunity to lead yes. the Saints. And yes. then yes. and then we'll see. Uh, you know, they were very keen to keep Taysom Hill around. I think the big question is, is that guy an everyday quarterback? Or is he just what he's been so good at in the last couple of years with Drew Brees, where he could be really successful in situational moments? Um, so, uh, you know... I don't know I'm there's a reason I call games because I'm not big into the hot takeism of the sports world and so it's like I have a very boring mundane opinion that uh let's see what he does and if it doesn't work out then we'll make a different move but uh I'm I'm curious he's he's a guy that's been a full-time quarterback let's see what he can do and if it doesn't work out then then they have Hill. They have someone else to work with.
1: Yeah, I'm actually very interested in seeing what he does with the with the offense and how they adjust the offense to his game. But right now, I'll pass you back to our resident Yankees fan, New Wallace Bruce.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, yes. They're struggling, but it's okay. Teams can struggle in July and still do well in October. By well, the way, Yankee fans,
2: I just—it's like we can never—I I can never entertain any complaining because there's been so many wins. You have so many, and I, I know it's been a little bit of a drought lately. Like I guess, right? If you're like a 12-year-old Yankee fan, you feel like you've never won anything, but uh, <laughs> most, most Yankee fans have experienced some modicum of success, that's so right. it was always hard to feel like they were struggling or they want to fire this guy or do that, and it's like, try being a Mets fan, <laughs> then you know true suffering.
0: <laughs> yep, that's true, but in saying that, who was your pick for the National League MVP, and why is it Jacob deGrom?
2: i mean i think you covered it so uh yeah i mean mean, what what else is there to say you know we got we got the home run derby champ last night um a very meaningful title and then uh i mean the the guys just the big concern about the pitching staff for me with the mets and i say this all the time to my to my fellow mets uh fans is it's kind of terrifies me that they'll have had this assembly of awesome pitchers and they they don't really have a title to show for it, right? And, like, even if they win this year or next year, it's, it's already, like, not to be a pessimist, but I'm already a little bit bummed all the pitching talent they've had over these last four or five years and to not currently have a title to show for it and then not knowing what the future holds, that already kind of puts me in, like, a, a bummer attitude to think this was such a good staff. And I know injuries and things happen, right, and then the offense isn't always there, but it's a shame especially what DeGrom has done. I mean, just ridiculous, right? Uh, it's a shame that not more has uh, has come out of that from a team result standpoint.
1: Yeah, that's how we feel about the Toronto Maple Leafs.
0: Yeah. <laughs> no doubt about it. And DeGrom, DeGrom's actually been a good on both sides. He's got a sneaky good batting average. I think it's, I believe it's above 400, but people don't count it because of the number of plate appearances. But as far as I'm concerned, he's a two-way He's a two-way player in the National League, and we need to give him the MVP. He gives the run, the run support that the other batters in New York don't give. So, yeah, he is the MVP.
2: All right, I'm sold. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Done. Now, just circling back to the last time you were at the Olympics in Asia in Pyeongchang, you called Sean White's comeback. Take us through that.
2: Uh, that was awesome. Uh, I had primarily been there as a reporter working for uh, Westwood One and NBC Radio, and so I had done the pre-events, the pre-press conferences and that sort of thing. And uh, a lot of the talk was on Sean White and how would he do, right? It was a big surprise that he f- didn't uh, perform the way he expected at the prior Olympic Games, right? He had been so dominant, I want to say in 06 and 10, and then to, to finish off the podium. And then he had a, a rough training injury leading into Pyeongchang uh, on, on the, uh, the half pipe. And uh, so just a lot of question marks kind of coming in. And and so I always think it's interesting when there is a lot of expectation put on someone and a lot of um, just that thought, not that things are a given, but there's something to be said for carrying this thought that you're supposed to be dominant, that you're supposed to win, and then actually going out and doing that thing. And so that was a really cool thing to see in person that – uh he he had to put together a specific run. You know, there was a there was a score to beat, uh, and he just crushed it. You know, he lays down this great run and then there's that moment of anticipation where he's kind of standing there at the bottom, waiting for the score to come in, and it's like a little bit of a delay, and then the score comes in and it's just pure bedlam. And to be able to call that and chronicle that and someone that has been so well established and then and then do the same thing for Chloe Kim, who is kind of making her her name known, you know, and now will be such a big name going into Beijing next uh, February. To to have those moments, that, that was something, you know, totally different from what I had done in the past and, and was also just uh, something I'll never forget.
0: No doubt about it. Now, if I'm not mistaken, you've had a little bit to do with three by three basketball. Can you take our listeners through what we can expect at the upcoming summer games?
2: So I can't take a lot of credit for this. I have, I have been able to interview a few athletes that were in the mix for the U S team, for three X three. Um, so I haven't, I haven't done a lot with those events in person. I know it's a a brand new sport to the Olympic games. It's, you know, it's one that has continued to grow. Um, it's obviously a game that's going to promote better access to basketball, right? You don't need, uh, this giant indoor facility. You don't even need a full court, right? You just need one hoop. Uh, and and you can make it happen and so i think it's one of those sports and we've seen a few added this olympic games skateboarding surfing that are trying to engage a younger audience and get people more and more involved with the olympic games and really have something for everyone at the olympics so um i'm i'm excited to see it i would love to do more of it in the future i would love to call some 3x3 and uh, hopefully that's something i can i can get involved with going forward
1: yeah, speaking of engaging a younger audience, what do you think about the inclusion of esports?
2: So I did a little bit of this uh, with the fan-controlled football league uh, earlier this year. It's a brand new football league, and it was kind of a, this this very interesting merger of traditional sports fans and esports fans. Uh, it was entirely on Twitch, and that's a heavy esports platform, as, as you both know. Yeah. And, and so I think that was interesting to kind of get engaged with that audience. It is a real time feedback scenario. I think that's what's unique about it. And this is, even if you are not talking about live action football, which is what we were doing, but if you're talking about uh, a role playing game or Madden or whatever it is, uh, when you're talking about the Twitch platform or, or typically other esports broadcasts, the way that the, the casters and the broadcasters engage with the audience in real time is so different than than anything traditional in broadcast where it it almost, if you've ever been a public address announcer and and you botched a name or something, you kind of get that immediate groan from the crowd or someone says, hey, you know, that's not how my kid's name is said, that sort of thing. Um, and then you get to do radio and television. And you don't really find out about it until after the fact, if there was something, maybe someone texts you or you hear something on social media. But in this element, it's like all of those things ratcheted up to a 10, where as it's happening, this audience is engaging and, and you're almost speaking to two groups right you have the person who's kind of passively watching but then you have the person who's uh, engaging very intently in the chat but then also is also watching on the screen and and so that's a whole different element so um you know i've i've come at it mostly from the sports world um doing things like uh, madden tournaments and then this fan-controlled football league but It is certainly an area that's growing. You're seeing more and more facilities built just for esports, seeing more and more colleges have majors and that sort of thing and esports teams and uh, the pre-pandemic crowds for some of these things, especially in Asia, huge, right? Just packing facilities. So uh, that's something that's continuing to grow, continuing to get better. I think at the NBA 2K League, I know some friends that are involved with that as well. Um it's, it's only on the rise. So it's uh, another element. And it's look, it's going to have those things that people say like, this isn't a sport or it's not something I need to watch. But again, then I don't know, don't watch. Like if you don't like it, turn on something else. But there's clearly a large audience here that enjoys this thing.
1: So you don't think this is a one and done strictly based on the fact the Olympics is taking place in Tokyo, which is the gaming mecca. You expect to see this continue.
2: I would think so i mean unless you you know and and this happens from time to time in the olympics right something comes in and it's you know gets its shot and then it it goes back out so hard to say going forward at that level but if the momentum can keep building behind it i don't see any reason why why it wouldn't continue um you know it's often about overall space in the olympics uh a requisite number of athletes you know how many people do they want to have uh, living in an athlete village, that sort of thing. So they're, I know, often trying to contain those numbers and not and not grow the pool of overall competitors too large. But to the earlier point, right, there is a uh, certainly an intent to get younger audiences involved and and appeal to more people. And if if this is uh, something that esports can do, and again, I I make zero decisions about this, but you know, it's something you'd understand if you saw it continue going forward.
1: Nice, nice. No, it's. Uh... I mean, I'm not that big into Twitch when it comes right down to it. Generally, if I'm on Twitch, it's because I was invited to something specific. But this past season, we got in touch with the NWHL, the National Women's Hockey League, and their games were broadcast on Twitch. And I actually found that medium to be really satisfying as a fan watching because of the chat, because of the interaction. And it just felt like you were almost a part of what's happening. I just I love the I love the way it kind of worked out.
2: Yeah, it's, it's truly immersive and you're getting that immediate feedback. So you feel like you're being heard in many instances. Now, in some cases, the chat is flying. There's so much content going on in that that it's hard to sift through and answer something that's still relevant to what's happening in the moment. But I think fans do get that immediate payoff and you're not getting that anywhere else. So I understand why that has drawn people in. And did you
1: like it from the broadcaster side thing of something? Did you enjoy it? I did.
2: It? I thought it was interesting, especially because you can clarify some stuff. And in our case, fan control football, it was something that was brand new. Uh, we were introducing it to a large audience. We had a lot of passionate fans. We had new people joining every week. And so it was great. It could sound simple, but if someone or many people, if you saw 10 times in a row, different people saying, wait a minute, I, I don't understand, why is this that? Or, why are there no field goals in the Fangtral Football League? What is this extra point? What are we talking about when we say a man up drill? It's a good reminder. Hey, maybe we just got a bunch of new people tuning in. Just a reminder, if you know if you haven't seen this before, this is why this works the way that it does. And you don't you don't get that right away when you're doing other things. So, like anything, like any comment section that exists anywhere in the internet, right? There's some things that you can just leave you know, take it with a grain of salt, right? There's some stuff that you don't need to engage with, but there was also some some highly beneficial stuff that could, could help supplement what we're trying to do to really bring everyone together.
1: Is fan control football still a thing? It is. And was it a subscription service or a free to watch or a tiered system? What was it?
2: Uh, free to watch. You could watch on Twitch and then uh, download the app and you could select your team. And then that's how you were able to get involved in the action. It was it's uh, basically a combination of, of arena football and a football video game. So uh, this is how season one worked. And this is a group that is constantly improving, constantly getting better, looking to make this a better product going into season two. And info on that hasn't been announced yet, but but season two is in the works. And uh, it's a thing where you download the app, you select the team that you're a fan of. And then when that team is on offense, you would call their plays. And well, then really the team would run the plays that you submitted. Okay. Now, you got to stay
1: in touch. You got to stay in touch with us. Cause that sounds like something I, I got to experience. I got to see. Yeah. This. And
2: it was all on Twitch. And so it, it was really that great second screen experience, right? You're watching on Twitch, then you have your phone out, or, or maybe you're doing it all, all in one on the app, you're watching and you have your phone and you're calling the plays and it's majority wins, right? So whatever the most voted for play is, that's the play that they run. Now, keep in mind if you're smarter than the group and you picked a different play and let's say the play that ran was unsuccessful you're still going to get points for picking a, a more appropriate play so uh, oh. it did it did reward football knowledge and people as well so uh yeah it was a it was a great experience we had a ton of fun uh, a lot of close games some great interaction a lot of energy and uh, it, it was a blast and i'm i'm excited to get back to it for season two
1: and when does the season begin
2: uh, that's not been announced yet by the, uh, the league, so so okay. we're all we're all looking forward to that information, uh, but we'll be sharing it soon.
1: Oh, definitely. No, keep us in mind because I want I definitely yeah. want to check that out.
0: Me?
2: Oh, oh, please do.
0: Now, one of the stars of the last season was Josh Gordon. How did he look from your perspective? He
2: he looked like a guy that uh, was an All Pro in the NFL and then decided to come out and and play a uh, fifty yard football indoors and that's no insult to the rest of the guys there are a ton of talented guys in that league many who had nfl experience many i just think of a guy like travis Toivanen, who's gotten an experience coming off the fcf with the nfl i believe he he signed with the seahawks so there are a lot of guys that were at that level this is the hunger of the of of the football scene in america where just because you don't make to the NFL on that first try or maybe you've done CFL now you're going to try and work back to a different league uh it, it was guys with a variety of experience uh and and so much talent but Gordon came in right away and you know one of his first big moments was was catching a Hail Mary uh, at the at the end of a game uh, to win it for his squad so um he was one of the big names that came in Johnny Manziel was another uh Robert Turbin so there were some big names that had some big time NFL experience that took part. Uh, but I, I'll tell you, and, and if you watch the games so often, it was not the well-known NFL guy that was dominating. It was someone that maybe was a little bit off the radar, but was super talented and played really, really well and and just showed their their absolute hunger to make it. So I, I think from a storytelling standpoint, which most broadcasters really love, is you get a chance to kind of tell a little bit of the journey of a lot of these guys that, yeah, they're here in the FCF, uh, but they have much bigger dreams. They either want to go on to the NFL. They want to do something great in, the, in their career. They want to try and have a positive impact in their community. Uh, it, was, it was, it was again, it was uh, something for everyone when it comes to the football world. And, and so that was a great thing to see. Thanks for listening. And don't forget to follow us on Instagram at pro.sports.podcasters for the most current sports news. Now back to the show.
0: Now speaking of dreams, what are some words of advice you'd pass on to people that want to become broadcasters like yourself?
2: And so we're talking like college students. What's what's our what's our group here? Young people. Young people. What was your path? Uh, Kind of circuitous. Uh, I did radio, television, in college. I worked behind the scenes in television, out of school. stuck with doing like radio play by play, got involved in in like the media relations PR world while also doing broadcasting and, and then just kind of built from there and continued to to track down opportunities more so in television and just kind of kept adding and adding and adding. Um, I think I always tell people, I, I I don't I don't think I know I've told this to groups in the past, if you're at the college stage, internships just a tremendous, tremendous opportunity. Uh, it is probably said by everybody, but as as much real world experience as you can get with places that could potentially give you a job after you graduate, that's always always a good road to travel. Uh, do as much as you can while you're in school. You know, assuming there's a, a radio station or a TV station or a newspaper, or whatever it is that you want to get involved with, keep working at that. Uh, build out your network. That's also huge. Build out your network, but then uh, really foster it and develop it and nurture it. And um, you know, it's not always about I think people think about networking as like an uncomfortable thing sometimes because you're just trying to go find someone to give you something that you want, that sort of thing. And that's not really how people should look at it. Uh, it's you know more about connecting with people and building strong relationships. And and then at some point, perhaps there's a moment where you can help each other out. Maybe someone you know is looking for something and you can be the one that offers some help or maybe you're in need of something. And Uh, they can be the one to kind of make a contact for you, but it's, it's like a good plant, right? You have to uh, keep, keep watering it, keeping a good sunlight, right? It's not going to thrive if you're forgetting about it. So I think that's a huge thing and it's, it's challenging, especially for. Yeah. So just, I, I think the benefit of networking is huge, continue to kind of foster that network. Uh, and then sports broadcasting is brutal. You hear no far more often than to hear yes, I would think, uh, unless you're able to really hit it right out of the gates coming out of school um, or, or, or able to get something going early on. But for so many that do a lot of freelance work, just keep plugging away. It, it really is something you have to stay after and uh, you have to have a thick skin and you know know that you're not going to be everyone's cup of tea with how you do something. Get good critiques from people that you trust. You know, Incorporate that into your work. Listen to your stuff, try and get better—all that sort of thing—that you'll hear from so many people. But um, it is—it is a grind, and you know I, I've always felt like if you feel like you're working hard, you probably have another level that you can go to to try and mm. take it up a notch, uh, even even when you feel like you're maxed out. So, um, not that everyone shouldn't have balance in their life, but uh, it it does take a you know I think a little something extra sometimes to try and get over that hump.
0: No doubt about it. Feedback is important. That's where the growth happens. Now,
2: Mm -hmm. Greg, you're also a podcaster, so tell us, tell us about the What's Good podcast. So What's Good podcast, I think like the entire free world was launched at the start of the pandemic, uh, feeling like uh, all the events that I was about to call had been canceled. I would like to stay involved in talking with people. And also, I felt like a very negative time at that point, understandably so. And so I thought it'd be fun to try and connect with some people that I thought were interesting. And just learn a little bit about their journey, and and then every episode would you know would finish with just something that's good in their life, something that they did for themselves, something they did to help someone else out, uh, and then something that just makes them laugh. And so some really fun conversations with athletes and media and journalists and uh, that that sort of crew, uh, people that have coached, and it was a lot of fun. It's it's on pause at the moment for the Olympics and, and just all the other uh, things that are going on. But we'll see in the fall, thinking about revisiting it, maybe tweaking it a bit. As I got into it deeper, I really enjoyed the the mental side of sports. I talked with um, a sports psychotherapist at one point that I, that I had worked with in the past. He's also a broadcaster. And I thought that was so interesting. And I get a lot of this from the Olympic space, just because it's such a different world where you are going to give up so much time for a four-year commitment to this one event that you may or may not qualify for, and then what do you do? And that's different than pro sports or college or anything else. But I've always been interested in that why and how people process things and that sort of thing. So I might look to channel up more into that uh, when I do get a chance to bring it back. Very good. Kobe?
1: Yeah. Do you have a mentor or mentors that really showed you the ropes when it comes to sports
2: broadcasting? I think there's a couple of people that I've been able to lean on and ask questions of and and talk to to get feedback like we were just talking about to have them listen to work or watch work and and ask them what do you think and uh, people that I've gotten to work with in the past that just gave good good advice or, um, I don't know, offered just little moments along the way. I think sometimes you always need a a little – Boost here and there to kind of let you know you're on the right track and it's not it's not flowery praise all the time or you're amazing or this is a great job, but a little something hey that was good or or this is going in the right direction I think in something like this it, that can be so subjective, it does help sometimes to have people that you respect and trust that are also accomplished give a give a little bit of feedback here and there well one guy that comes to mind uh Jim Watson, he's done broadcasting for a long time. Pac-12 he he did Dodgers for for many years uh he's done NBC Olympics all that sort of thing and uh, I had done a couple of events with him years ago where he was play by play and I was working as an analyst and just getting good feedback from him on on pacing and the the way to kind of carry yourself and that sort of stuff was was super helpful uh Ian Eagle who does the Nets and the NFL and the tournament and so many great things and and is uh like Jim, a super talented broadcaster. Uh, he's been nice enough to watch a lot of my stuff and, and give feedback and notes and that sort of thing. Uh, Doc Emmerich, hockey legend, right? Just recently retired uh, from the NHL and NBC, but also did Olympics and and just the voice of of the NHL for so many years. Um, another guy that w- was great at just looking at stuff and, and reviewing and, and giving notes. And the good thing, and feedback is helpful. You have to also kind of take it with a grain of salt. And, and by that, I mean, you want almost like calculated feedback, right? If you have a thousand people look at your stuff, that's a lot for you to take in. Uh, but if you have a few people and you value all their opinions, and let's say you have eight or 10 people that you really you really care about what they have to say, and you think that, they, that, that what they do is good, you like their style, they're all telling you the same thing. It's probably a thing worth changing. You know, if everyone says, "Hey, you, you know, you do this thing when you're on camera," or "Hey, the way that you call this play, I I do it this way," that's valuable feedback, right? If you're if you're getting it across the board, um, and then the other stuff, I think you can kind of mix and match. You know, it's almost like taking stuff out of a out of a buffet, right? I like a little bit of this. So I'm gonna take a little bit of that. You know, that people have offered, and then you try and incorporate it into your own. So. I, I think mentors are great. Uh, a, a college professor of mine, John Morano, he's not a sports broadcasting guy. He's he's a journalist by trade. He, you know, he loves sports. He's he's a fellow suffering Knicks fan, but um, <laughs> he's you know another guy. It's just good to have people in your corner that you can bounce things off of. So uh, th- those are just a few. There there are many more. I I, I hesitate to name more than leave people out, but um, you know there have been many that have been uh, very very helpful on this path. Okay. And which
1: sports have you enjoyed calling the most?
2: Certainly love basketball. That's, that's my, my favorite overall sport and, and one that I love to announce. Water polo, uh, clearly I still like doing that. Uh, it's, it's something that I didn't know a lot about initially and now I've come to know more about it than I ever could have imagined. Yeah. Um, and, and really enjoy that as well. Uh, football is a lot of fun. Really, really enjoying uh, volleyball. Um, That's a that's a fast-paced game that has been a lot of fun Uh, And then it's it's fun to challenge yourself with new things, you know, I hadn't done ski jumping before or biathlon and to be able to try those out and Learn the intricacies and then tell the stories and hit the big moments I think that was a lot of fun as well And and so I'm always up for for something new even that I haven't done before to try and stretch yourself and take on that challenge
1: so it isn't just like the big market sports. Some of the smaller sports are just as much fun for you to actually call.
2: I, they, they're all fun for different reasons, right? I think you go do college football somewhere and there's a giant crowd and the energy is off the charts and it means so much to that town that you're in. That's an awesome thing. There's yeah. no doubt about it, right? You understand why people really enjoy that. and The same is true for a, you know a small basketball gym that only holds 2,000 people, but they are amped. And then you have the other things where maybe it is a lesser-known sport, but the people that are in it, if you're in it at that level, it means you have dedicated your whole life. It means that you really, really want this. Uh, You are passionate about this. And to be able to, in some small way, do their commitment, their sacrifice justice in storytelling and in broadcasting, that's a fun thing for me.
0: Now, I have to ask, given your experience of the winters, Olympics and with ESPN now getting the rights back to them for the NHL are we going to see you calling games on the ice next year or is that too early to call
2: you know, I think that one has already been decided. I, y- you guys are wonderful. You have such uh, high regard for my abilities. I, I need you two to be <laughs> to be to be running a network immediately. Your publicists, basically. Um, yeah, yeah, please. You can be my. Not just one of you take over and a network, and the other become an agent. Uh, and you two can collaborate and just uh, get me some some of the some of the highest gigs. I, from what I've seen, ESPN's already decided their NHL announcers. Um, and I'm, uh, while I'm confident in my abilities, I'm not the person to step into the the top NHL job uh, right away. Uh, Hockey is something I haven't done a whole lot of. um, So I would, you know, again, like I said earlier, right, I would be happy to take on any sport, but there are some truly talented hockey broadcasters, and it sounds like that between ESPN and TNT that they've lined up a lot of those folks. Okay.
0: All right. Now, is there anything that you'd like to share with our audience before we let you go?
2: Well, you know, I, I, as I say on any podcast I've done, you know, once we get to that 40, 45 minute mark, if you're still with us, thank you, right? Thanks for being here and still listening to me talk. Uh, I appreciate that. No, I, you know, I think we've covered it a lot. This is something that I I love to do. It's a ton of fun. It's it's uh, always fun to talk uh, sports broadcasting. Um, you know, I honestly, I I have to ask you both. So you host this podcast. Do you two? Do a lot of sports broadcasting? Is this the thing that you want to do more of? Is, is the podcast your focus?
1: A podcast is like my primary focus right now. I do have yeah. my own series of uh, social media channels that are more dedicated to golf, actually. Okay. But uh, I'm a massive sports fan of a number of different sports, and I've played a number of different sports. So my focus right now is the pro sports so I Actually, I really enjoy it, to, to be honest.
0: Yeah? Yeah. That's excellent. Yeah. Uh, Yeah, I guess it's a passion of mine, too. I think when Kobe and I met up last year, similar to yourself, it was in the midst of a pandemic, we just identified that there are some sports that weren't getting the love, so we just decided to come together with another gentleman and get this thing started and start to cover some sports that aren't getting the love, uh, getting the attention that they deserve, uh, they are getting left behind, simply because there's just not enough bandwidth with some the big media companies. There's just not enough time to cover them. So we we feel like we're filling that gap a little bit. But yeah, to answer your question, that's something that's interested me for sure. No doubt about it.
2: Excellent. Excellent. Cool. No, just curious. uh, No, this is great though. Really enjoyed talking with you both. And uh, obviously a big fan of sports broadcasting and uh, appreciate you having me on and taking the time to chat.
1: Thank you.
0: So there we have it. Greg Meskel is the voice of water polo for ESPN. And you'll find him running digital content for USA Water Polo at Tokyo 2021. You can find him on Twitter at Greg Meskel and on Instagram at mescalade. And be sure to check out his own podcast, What's Good, because he knows what's good.
1: So if you don't happen to be watching it as it happens, he'll be the one that tells you that USA women have won the gold in water polo. (laughs)
0: <laughs> shout out shout out to Kayleigh
1: Gilchrist.
2: Shout out KG the Mama Mission. Go.
0: Yes.
1: It was good talking to you Greg.
2: Hey thanks guys appreciated it. Thanks for your time. Bye-bye. Bye bye. Bye. Bye.